You know, I'm a sucker for a story told right. An exciting podcast, like Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula, brings storytelling to life just like those old-time radio programs, but in a fun new format. Video can also expand your storytelling in a whole different way, a visual way. At Beyond Motion, we help our clients bring their visions to life through storytelling and video. Whether you're a business owner looking to find new customers or a musician ready to create that perfect music video, Beyond Motion can tell your story the way you want it told. Our experienced team can do everything from filming on location to editing existing footage to animation. Basically, we do it all. When you're ready to move into the world of video, make Beyond Motion your storytelling partner. Give us a call today to discuss how we can help bring your story to life at 480-227-9843 or visit us on the web at beyondmotion.com. Once again, that's beyondmotion.com, your video everything company. And please remember to support the businesses that support the arts. I never meant to let this happen. What do you do? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I never... Yabya Music and Arts presents Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula. Written by Carly Schwarman and Dale Rasmussen. Original music and sound design by Devin Morris. Executive producers Carly Shorman and Mark Anderson. Episode 4. Chasing a gut shot straight. You ever stop to think about how much of the advice you get in life is about how you manage loss? Spending money to make money. Breaking eggs when it's time to make omelets. Boil the cliches down and you start to see the pattern pretty quick. Sometimes it feels like half of anything anyone ever says is, don't be afraid of losing what you got. Because you can't avoid it anyway. And it's the trying to hold on to things that drives you crazy, that keeps you up nights, that breaks your heart and dries out the pieces. That's regret, and it's no good to anyone. It's a tune you can't dance to, trying to hold on to things. Better to be realistic, accept facts for what they are. Understand that most nights in this life, you're going to go to bed with a little bit less than you had when you woke up. And don't look back over the trash or the treasures you dropped behind you each day. Because money spends, memories fade, things break, and people die. You can't hold on to everything. And honestly, you really can't hold on to anything for very long. So you pick and choose. You prioritize. Each moment, every day, you choose the things you're willing to give up so that you can hold on to the things you're not willing to. You sacrifice that extra 10 minutes of sleep that you're aching for so that you can be at work on time. You pay to refurbish the furniture instead of getting the band new instruments. The gal at home waiting for you, or the beautiful stranger with the piercing green eyes. You make trades, this for that, and because every time you do, you lose something, you manage the loss. Now if what you're trading for is your own life, what's that worth? If it's for your security, yours and those who depend on you. What are you willing to trade away? 
You ever had to answer that question? Really answer that question? Not in a vague, hypothetical, safe kind of way, but in the real. Stomach clenching, sweat, ice cold on your neck, testicles in your belly. Make a call right now, and you better hope it was the right one kind of way. If you haven't, then don't look at me like that. You don't have the right. And if you have, then you know. You know I didn't have any choice. After I got back that morning, after I made my way from the memorial gardens all the way back to Salome's, I locked myself in my office and poured a drink. I figured I shouldn't let myself empty a glass more than once. So to make sure I didn't, I refilled it four times when the glass was drained to half a finger. I sat at my desk in the dark, feverishly trying not to picture what had happened out there and incapable of doing anything else. On my desk in front of me, Dietz, Demon, Box leered at me, mocking my sweaty palms and the sour ash in my mouth. I don't know how long it was before Zara came in. Twenty minutes? An hour? I don't know. Nolan? You in here, Stone? Yeah. I can barely see you over there. Why are you sitting in the dark? No reason. You all right, Stone? You don't sound... That's it, isn't it? That's the box. That is the box. The very same. And you got it back. Nice work, Nolan. I'm ashamed to say I had my doubts. Where's Cherry? <sighs> Nolan, I asked where Cherry is. I heard you. Okay. You going to answer me? Where? Where's Cherry, Stone? She's not here, see? You didn't find her a ship off station that fast, did you? No. No, I didn't. Where is she, Stone? Hey, Zara. What? Stop asking me that. Just... Just stop. What happened? What happened to her? Just Stone? leave it alone, Z. What did you do? I got the damn box back, Z. You may not want to hear this, but that's what matters. That wasn't... What did you do? You really... Want to hear me say it out loud, Z? Is that what you want? Ask me one more damn time and I'll tell you. What? What happens now, Nolan? What happens now, Zara, is that the universe gets torn in half. Leastways for us, it does. That's not an answer, you know. You... Okay. You're right. What do you know about the Sisters of the Madre Benevolencia? What? What does some church in the Gaia Compact have to do Because with that's who's coming for this thing. It's not the Syndicate, and it's not the Pinkertons. The Pink Deets took this off of was working for the Madre Benevolencia. How do you know that? One thing at a time. How familiar are you with the church? Honestly, not very. I know they're a big deal in the GC, but I've never really got out that way myself. I've known plenty of folks who pray that way, and I know plenty of Madre jokes if you want to hear them. But as far as firsthand knowledge, not much. Have you heard of Seraphs? Yeah, I've heard of the Boogeyman and the Tooth Fairy, too. The real Z, I promise you. Seriously. Crusading angels bringing woe and calamity to the unbelieving, starting fires with their eyes, smiting the unrighteous, reading hearts and controlling minds? Well, they're not angels. That's for damn sure. As for the rest of it, well, the stories come from somewhere. I'm not saying they're totally straight up, but 
They're not completely bullshit either. You're not making any sense, Nolan. What does this have to do with Cherry? Because it was Seraphs who got her. It wasn't the Pinks who came looking for the box, and it wasn't the Pinks who firebombed the Coleridge. The Seraphs were out looking for us this morning, and they found her. How? Reading hearts, controlling minds. Curse it, Stone! Z, you just said that you don't know what's what with the Madres. I do. So stop telling me I'm wrong and listen. It's not magic, it's not a miracle, but you gotta wrap your head around the very simple fact that these people can do some really weird shit. How? That doesn't matter right now. What matters is that these guys have a sense. I don't know how it works, but I've seen them know things they couldn't know and do some shit that no one's supposed to be able to do. You've seen- Yeah, so just listen to me, would you? Fine, I'm listening. The Madre Benevolencia has an order of superpowered mind-reading psychopaths. Yes. And they're here for the Tritogenia. I don't think so. If it was just the Tritogenia, I think they would have sent the pinks. I'm pretty sure they're after this. I opened the box and began removing the rough-hewn lightning glass bottles. Z's eyes narrowed as the pearlescent liquid inside flashed in the low light of my office. I could tell she was calculating the value of the contraband load in front of her, but what I didn't know was if she was weighing it against the half-million price tag I'd mentioned earlier, or the girl who'd left with me last night and didn't come back this morning. After the fifth bottle came out, I removed the wooden grid from inside again, and then produced the parchment. Z frowned at the squiggles and lumpy shapes. What is this stone? I'd call this gibberish, but it doesn't even look like writing. Well, it may not look like it, but it is. That's a ritual language at the Benevolencia. I can't read it, can't tell you what it says, but I know what it is. You see those two lines marked in red? They're on the left and the right. Yeah. Those are the bride and groom's names. This is a marriage contract. Bullshit. It is. Arranged marriages, political matchmaking. It's a big part of how the Madre Benevolencia got to be such a big deal in the GC. A marriage contract. So the juice is what, a dowry? A signing bonus? Uh, Maybe a little bit of one, a little of the other, but it's part of it. The whole thing is a package, and that means the Madres are trafficking Tritogenia out of their own space. So? Well, it's like... How can I explain this? It'd be like bottling your god's blood and selling it at a shitty bar for cheap. So it's a scandal? No. One of the untouched sisters getting knocked up would be a scandal. If this gets out, there'll be wide-scale religious riots across a dozen worlds. This could explode the Madres, and they won't let that happen. Hence, the Seraphs are here to make sure it doesn't. You got it. So, what are you going to do? Truth? I don't have the foggiest. But I'll figure something out. Before or after we're all dead, Nolan? Before I'm dead? Is that what you're getting at? Is there anyone else you really give a damn about? I didn't have a snappy line to come back with, but it wouldn't have mattered if I had, because Zara didn't stick around to hear it. I couldn't tell if the dismissive flip in her dark hair was meant for this conversation only, or if it applied in a broader sense. But when the door closed behind her, she seemed more gone than just not standing there in front of me. I found myself reaching for my coat pocket, reaching for the familiar lighter. I tell people that it was a gift from my grandfather so often that most of the time that's how I remember it. But if I stop and think about it, I remember that I picked it up a long time ago from an antique dealer. The dealer I picked it up from swore up and down that it was legit she'd snatched it up along with a haul of more valuable trinkets that traced back to earth 
and the lock of her jaw and fire in her eye convinced me she believed it enough to be telling the truth about that. I've carried that thing around with me for half of forever. And when people ask why I carry a lighter and don't even smoke, it was easier to spin a line about family heirlooms than to lay out the real reason. The fact is, that lighter makes me happy on some kind of primal level down in my guts. It ain't about the flame. I ain't some kind of fire bug. But I just love how so many moving pieces fit together. Probably 400 years old, but just in the tang and click of popping open the lid, you could hear how well it still functions. I probably sound crazy, but if you get it, you get it. Thing is, just then I had a sudden flash of Cherry staring up at me with those pleading eyes. I realized in that instant that I'd never open the lighter again without thinking of that desperate, trusting face. And I couldn't bear that too often. So Granddad's lighter was bound for the back of a drawer somewhere to gather dust. Say so long to sentiment, I suppose. Such were my thoughts as I jammed my mitt into my pocket and found nothing inside. Nothing. All of creation turned sideways and threatened to slip from its moorings and slide into the endless black maw at the bottom of existence. I felt like effect had divorced itself from cause, like lines no longer converged towards any particular point on the horizon. I had two thoughts, and I knew they were connected, but I just couldn't seem to draw the line. The first was that my lighter was gone. The second was that I was suddenly possessed of a fear in my belly so strong it was threatening to throw out all of the scotch I'd poured down there in the last half hour. I couldn't deal with the gnawing terror just then, so I focused for a moment on what I could do something about and made for the john where I could boot responsibly. That would deal with the second thought as fully as I was able, so my attention turned to the first again. My lighter was gone. Where could it have gone? I had it with me when I ran away from the memorial gardens. I was sure of that. Right? Yeah, sure I was. Sure I was sure. Because I wouldn't have been so stupid as to leave it or drop it. I thought back to that moment, to shoving those lightning glass bottles into the box and the box into the dirty knapsack. Snatching up Cherry's bag with the copex and the remains of the blue dress. Sure that any second I'd hear the footsteps behind me and they'd be on me. Playing it back in my mind. Running through the checklist of events in the seconds after I threw the bottle. I was surprised by how much was there. But even so, I'd pocketed the lighter, right? Sure I had. Right? Of course I had. Because if I hadn't, if that little tinderbox with my prints on it was found anywhere near the gruesome bonfire in the gardens, that would be it for me. I needed to find my old lucky charm on the double. I started to play the events of my headlong dash away from the memorial gardens out in my mind further. But as the urge to empty my stomach passed, as quickly as it had come upon me. I decided that I could reminisce on the move as well as I could in my office, doing my best to swallow down the effects of my single glass of scotch. I wedged the jeweled box into my liquor cabinet and bolted for my office door. I drew up short when it opened before I got there and just missed bowling over Chewy, who raised his hands in front of him more in a pleading gesture than an act of self-defense. Whoa, boss, where's the fire? I don't know. 
but I aim to find it. Hold down the fort, Chewie. I called out to him as I blew past, heading for the coat room. I needed to get out of here. I needed to retrace my steps and gather my thoughts. Everything that happened in the past 24 hours, everything I had sacrificed to save my sorry ass would be for naught if that damn lighter showed up in the wrong place. You have any Kopecks to spare? Shippers dump me without a connect, and I need to get a ticket back to Magna Mater. My folks work in the gardens in Luca. I just want I tossed the woman a Kopeck without looking at her, and shooed her off with an irritated wave. I don't need your sob story right now, sister. I'm busy writing my own. I was in the tower sect, trying to retrace that morning's steps. In my panicked flight away from the fire, I'd blown through the memorial gardens almost without my feet touching the ground, and then I'd cut through the tower sect on my way to the underlevels. I figured I'd have a better shot of shaking any tails down there. Plus, given the option, I'd rather not race through the front doors of Salome's out of breath and almost pissing myself. Now, going back the other direction, It had taken me the better part of an hour to trudge the underways of the station, retracing each footfall and trying to decide if I'd been more scared that morning or on my return trip. I'd have made better time, but I paused with almost each step, blind hope turning the glint of each foil wrapper or discarded piece of junk into an object I just about managed to convince myself I might actually find. Fact is, even if I didn't find what I was looking for, an hour of slowly ambling had started to clear my head. Feeling a little more in control of my own thoughts, I decided to head to the tower sect. Earlier, after that bottle left my hands... I'd turned heel and bolted out of the gardens and the memorial district. Maybe it had been a mistake, but I hadn't headed straight for the stockyards. No, I'd cut through the bustling hub of the tower sect that teams with life no matter the hour. After all, sometimes it's easiest to stay hidden in a crowd. Seemed like a bright idea at the time but I hadn't gone more than two or three turns into the district before it felt like I was swimming through old women and kiosk vendors. But by that point, I was committed, and getting out wouldn't be any faster than moving forward. That had been the hassle that morning. Later, retracing my steps was proving to be a real son of a bitch. There was next to no chance that I would just happen upon my lighter if I dropped it here. With every step, I racked my brain, trying to remember if it was in my hand or pocket as I moved through the tower sect. Hand or pocket? Was I sure I even had it at all? That morning, I had just been starting to get back some momentum on my way to Salome's when, right as I was moving past Marva's intergalactic imports, I ran into a guy. More a kid than anything else. Skinny, with big teeth and a mop top that fell over his eyes. Now when I say I ran into him, don't take that to mean we stopped to have a friendly chat about where to get a good bagel. I mean I ran into him in that bodily way that ends with you picking your keister up off the pavement and scrambling to grab your dirty knapsack and your satchel of ruined women's clothes and kopecks. I was on my feet and moving again so fast that I hadn't given it any thought until that moment. I was moving so fast that I hadn't even paid attention to what the kid had said as I ran past him. But standing there, just a handful of steps from Marva's front door, and staring at the spot on the pavement, I remembered it clear as day. I'm sorry, Stone, he'd said. I guess I didn't think anything of it when I'd first heard him say it. It's not like I'm a stranger to folks. But as I thought about it now, maybe he was apologizing for more than not watching where he was going. 
I tried to picture him again, remembering the stoop of his shoulders and the naked hunger in the set of his jaw. He could have been one of the kids from the underlevels, I guessed. He had the look about him. Kids like that end up with light fingers pretty often. It seemed like I might have seen him around my bar before. He had a face that made an unfortunate impression, and it felt like I'd seen it once or twice before. But if so, and he was a hard case, he hadn't come to Salome's working. That I would definitely remember. It was hard to imagine a skinny kid like that having the rocks to make a grab on me. At the very least, it would earn him a lifetime ban at Salome's, and he had to suspect I was capable of delivering a much harsher sentence than that. But I didn't see my lighter lying in the gutter here. So, maybe. As a general rule, I tend to caution against wishful thinking. But what can I say? It didn't seem such a stretch to imagine that the kid didn't see me any more than I'd seen him. That he'd made a dumb grab on instinct, and it's not like he could cop to it standing there, could he? And I didn't stick around to ask any questions. So why couldn't he have it? Yeah, I know how it sounds. But it had been a long couple of days, and I hadn't gotten much sleep. So it didn't seem so crazy just then. Especially when weighed against the idea of pushing how close I could get to the memorial gardens before someone called my name. I didn't like those cards, so maybe playing a different hand and hoping that the hungry-looking kid had my lighter would play out better. Trouble was, hours had passed, and standing in one place waiting for Mop Top to just careen into me again while he was out hunting for tourists in the sect in need of a valuable life lesson would be almost as futile as just pounding the pavement looking for the lighter itself. It was a big station after all. And what was digging at me like a busted rib was that I couldn't remember hand or pocket. Definitely pocket. Maybe. Just then, despite how things had gone since Cherry's party, I got a sign that maybe all my luck hadn't gone the way of blue skies on Earth. Hey, young man. You got any extra Kopecks on you? It's been a tough one. I don't mind saying. I spun around and saw that the voice came from a short panhandler with filthy trousers and a five-day beard that had more salt than pepper in it each time I ran into him. The ragged sleeves of his blue jacket were pushed up around his elbows. Cagey blue eyes danced across my face over a gin-blossomed nose. Bartell, how's the weather treating you, old-timer? I was relieved to hear that my voice sounded halfway casual as I fished a handful of Kopecks from my pocket. This would be expensive enough without him getting a whiff of desperation off of me. Nolan Stone. Well, I suppose it ain't been raining too hard. It's been a while, young fella. You lose your way to that fancy bar of yours? Old Bartell was as much an institution in the Tower sect as the 5.48 a.m. sunrise and ghost stories about the underlevels getting told to kids and tourists. He'd been panhandling the Tower for longer than I'd been on out far. He probably slept in the stockyards, but you could always find him near the Tower in the daylight. Like any local landmark, some folks love him, some folks think he's an eyesore and a blight on the community. Sometimes the local kids knock him down for kicks. But it seems like most folks walk past him without even really seeing him anymore. There's a power in that, and Bartell knows it. He hasn't made these street corners his for so many decades by chance. I always made sure to throw him five or ten, whatever I could. You never know when you might need to call in a favor. I unpeel a 50 kopecked marker, and then another. No mere coins for Bartell today, and I got his attention. 
Now, most panhandlers would see those two bills, and their eyes would go wide. Bartell narrowed his, and turned his gaze from the money to me. Yet another reason to like this guy. You dying? Trying to pass off your estate? Nope. Unity day come early? Or maybe there's something I can help you with. I'm looking for a kid. Young man, actually. Know you know the neighborhood, wondering if you might know him. I gave Bartell a solicitous grin, but he had turned his attention to the money in my hand and was watching it so hard I don't know if he even saw that smile on my face. He certainly didn't care. You got a name? Afraid I don't. Didn't catch it. Why are you looking for him? He caused some trouble? Order the wrong kind of wine with his fish? Nah, nothing like that. I just wanted to talk to him. Bartell's eyes were starting to drift, so I started rubbing the two bills together in slow circles. He licked his lips. Well, what did he look like anyway? Like I said, young guy. Not much taller than you. Blonde hair, shaggy, down in his eyes. And a pointy Adam's apple? Uh, I couldn't say. Maybe. Big teeth, though. Yeah, big teeth. That mess of hair always in his eyes. Yeah, that's the kid. You know him? Maybe. Why do you care if I did? Serious-like. He in some kind of trouble? No trouble. It's not like that. Just need him to help me out with something. You, uh, know where I can find him? I didn't say that. You ain't saying much, Bartell. Yeah? Well, you haven't let your grip up on one of those three corners, have you? I hold up the first bill. Bartell moves his hand towards it, and I pull it back. You got a name? I push it back towards him, and he takes it. He makes a sudden and elaborate show that's a mix between licking his fingers, scratching at his arms, tugging at his shirt sleeves. Somewhere in the elaborate dance his hands are doing, the bill disappears, and I don't see where. He mumbles as he goes about his beggar's trick. Pate, kid you're looking for goes by Pate. Goes by. Yeah, it's one of those dumbass monikers those ones have. I knew what he meant. The asinine nickname gave it away. Pate was another of the low-rent station rats that nest in old Aldfar. A grifter and a pickpocket, not unlike the dearly departed Dietz. Okay, Pate. He's from down below? I suppose so. I held up the other 50 kopecked bill. Okay, you got that one right, old-timer. Let's close out strong. You know where I can find the kid? pained expression comes over his face, and all at once, I know this isn't going to be a short excursion. Well, see, maybe I don't know exactly where he is, but... I move to put the bill back into my pocket, and Bartell all but swipes at my hand. Hey now, I know he works here most mornings, and he sleeps down below. Under what district? Not sure. Low of the horn, I think. Could be underneath the tower, though. They get around, you know how those kids are. Sorry, Bartell. Not close enough to be worth 50. If he comes back, I could get him a message for you. He comes back here in the afternoons? Bartell's shoulders slumped a little. No, not really. Sometimes. But not often. I fold the tri-corner one-handed and hold it in my fist where Bartell can see. Well, if he does come back this direction today... What do you want me to tell him? Nothing. You don't say a word. He plucks the second bill from my hand. You can spare the disappearing act, Bartell. I don't care where you pocket it. You ain't the only one watching, Stone. You shouldn't ever forget that. Fine. But don't you forget our arrangement. 
Pate comes around, you dummy up. Do you one better, Stone? I'll take off the rest of the afternoon. Not a terrible idea. Go somewhere and spend that, why don't you? I think I will. You go on looking for him? Well, I suppose I might. What's it to you? Well, if you're heading towards the horn, I'll go with you a piece. Throttle down your engines just a minute, and I'll walk with you. Thanks, Bartel, but I don't need the oh, company. just shut up. He waved off my protest, and against my better judgment, I found myself standing aside while he took to gathering up his belongings. It didn't take long, as he didn't have much. He carefully wrapped the small bowl he worked out of into a thick woolen scarf. The scarf caught my eye. Somewhere along the line, the powers that be set the station controls to 20 degrees Celsius and, apparently, locked them off forever, because that temperature has been more constant than the speed of light since. And while it's a touch too chilly for my taste, I'd have gone with 22 and never looked back, it's nowhere near cold enough for that kind of cold weather gear. I guessed the scarf was old, the vestigial scrap left over from a life on some planet that got colder than Altfar ever did. His meager setup wrapped in the scarf and looped casually over one shoulder, Bartell and I set off. We didn't make great time together. Bartell walked like each of his joints was more than half rusted over, but I didn't mind. His lurching gait gave me plenty of time to brood, and walking with him let me share in some of his anonymity, as I noticed most folks avert their eyes from us as we approached. F. Bartell noticed the way most folks carefully avoided acknowledging his existence. He gave no sign, just kept prattling on and moving forward with his broken clockwork stride. I couldn't help but wonder what sort of road he'd walked that left him so busted up. Maybe he'd been a miner on one of the backwaters. Most of those guys don't live to get gray hair, but there are a handful that have the bad luck to get old. I realized that, as we walked, Bartell was looking at me expectantly. For the most part, He'd been happy to handle both ends of our conversation, but the way he had me fixed now, I could tell he was waiting on something from me. I said, do you think they put up with that on Plutus? Do they? Hells no, they don't. I forced a chuckle. <laughs> that where you're from, Bartell? Plutus? I figured that would be enough to keep him going for a minute or two more. I didn't feel much like talking, but the old-timer's prattle might be useful in making us look more natural as we cut through the central thoroughfare of the tower sect. And if I was real lucky, maybe it could distract me from the gnawing in my gut for a couple of moments along the way. Me? Oh yeah. Plutus originally. But I spent more years than not on the Lantos. As far as I knew... There were only three things people did on Lolantos. Commercial fishing, tourism, or doing time at the massive AEL prison complex that was located in the planet's southern hemisphere. I guessed that Bartel hadn't been a fisherman or a hotel clerk. I ain't ashamed to say it. Yeah, I did a bit in Mannix prison. Trumped up charge, truth be told. I believe it. I told him, but I'm pretty sure he could tell I didn't. The conversation faltered then, and less than a block later, Bartell nodded at me and disappeared through the front door of a hole-in-the-wall gin joint. I was surprised at how suddenly alone and exposed I felt, and I doubled my pace on the way to the horn, where I'd heard the guy who stole my lighter spent his nights. If I couldn't find him... I'd find someone who could get me closer.
I'd crisscrossed the stockyards in a path designed to shake loose any tails without taking the entire day. Now I was in the tower sect, looking to pass through unnoticed and make for the horn. From there, I'd grab one of the access ladders into old Aldfar and see if I could find this pate. Under the stockyards, under Salome's, I know all the players like I know the suits on a deck of cards, but the horn wasn't my neighborhood. So I was taking stock of the names and faces I did know as I walked. I'd been so focused thinking about one of the few I knew down that way, Linny and the hostel she ran, that I wasn't paying too much attention to what was going on around me. Stone! The trappings weren't impressive. Hard mattresses and old wooden doors with warped locks and so-so hinges. But at two kopecks a night, Linny didn't get a lot of complainers. A lot of the spacers working the yacht lines would come through and stay pretty- Stone Stone! You wanna pull your head out of your ass? You didn't hear me? Flynn! Hey, hey there, I, I didn't hear you. Morgan was barreling toward me, grinning his trademark, aw shucks, grin. There was something in his approach that made my spine sing, but I forced myself to stay calm. I realized I was getting jumpy. Paranoid, maybe. No, no, I guess we didn't. What are you doing? You hiding in the tower so you don't have to do any work in any of your own districts? What brings you out this way? Ah, something like that. Just meeting some folks, you know how it is. What are you doing out and about? I didn't think you liked to walk in the daylight hours. Well, I don't, if I can avoid it. So what brings you out today, then? You ever get your picture taken? You're standing there, and the lady holding the camera tells you to smile. And you do, but there's no flash. No click. You just stand there, waiting, grinning, and you can feel the smile going hard around the edges, like cheese left out too long. There was something about Flynn's smile in that moment that had a hard edge. Or maybe I was just imagining it. Nolan, what are you up to? I, uh, I, was, he I was heading down to the registry. What's at the registry? Uh, nothing. Nothing's uh, there. It's just that, well, the crew has been taking the situation with Cherry and the fire on the coal ridge pretty hard, so I thought I'd do something nice. I was uh, thinking about registering a moon in her name. Maybe one you could see from Thalia. You were going to name a moon Cherry Cordial? Well, if there was something nice. No, not Cherry Cordial. In her real name. Her real name? Oh, Cordelia Monroe. Yeah. Like I said, somewhere nice. I think it would make the staff feel better. Oh, it's a nice gesture, Nolan. Big of you. At least I could do, right? I thought of doing more. Maybe maybe sending some money back to her people. I don't think there's any more dowries to be paid. But I'm sure you sent word. Sure. Uh, so I'm sure they appreciated that. You make that call yourself? Yeah. Why? Oh, no reason. Uh, just surprised, I guess. It seems like the kind of thing you'd have Zara handle. She can't do everything. I can work the comm myself. What are you getting at, Morgan? Nothing, Stony. Calm down. I wasn't getting at anything. Are you okay? Sure. Yeah, sure. I'm sorry. I'm just tired. Not on my game since the explosion. Which one? I, I don't. What do you mean? You haven't heard? I'm surprised. You're usually so plugged in. There was another explosion. Another fire this morning in the Memorial Gardens. Oh, no. Who was... Was anyone hurt? Hurt? No. Killed, yes. Bodies got sent off a while ago to the perverts in the lab. We don't know much about who they are yet. Wow. You didn't hear anything? Are you sure about that? If you maybe overheard something last night, that could be useful. I said I didn't, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. I heard you. Stone. Yeah? I'm your friend. Don't forget that, okay? If you got something to say. I, uh, I appreciate it, Flynn. But I'm just tired. and Like I said, I'm turned around since the fire. I'm sorry to snap at you. 
He looked at me hard for a long moment, staring at my face like he was planning to draw it later, like he was trying to catch every detail in his memory. I don't mind saying it was damned disconcerting, but half a moment later, he was grinning at me again. It's no problem at all. But if it turns out to be something else, think about talking to me, would you? Who knows? I might be able to help. Despite what you may have heard, I'm not an idiot. He clapped me on the shoulder and gave me another one of those searching looks. But I'd no sooner opened my mouth to ask what he was getting at than he nodded brusquely and turned away. I watched him go, unable to decide if Flynn was just being friendly and I was being paranoid, or if Flynn was trying to tell me something. I told myself I was jumping to conclusions, that I was tired and it was making me think goofy, that for all his virtues and vices, Flynn Morgan wasn't known for being cagey. And yet... But he was gone, and standing there in the streets of the Tower Sect, I was letting precious time slip away. I needed to find that lighter, or barring that, I needed to get some arrangements laid down to get off station, and it would be best if I could get that done before Morgan and his counterparts from the other districts got back the identifications on the charred remains in the memorial gardens. I did my best to shake off the strange conversation with Morgan and set off once again in the direction of the horn. There was no sign of Pate at Linney's or at the next hostel I'd stopped in, nor the dice game or stim den I'd tried after that. Hours were slipping away now, and I was beginning to give up hope of finding the sneak with my lighter. Come on, come on. Yeah, what do you want? I'm looking for a guy in there. Mind if I poke my head in, take a look around? Cot'll cost you too, fancy pants. Finding food's your business. I don't need a bed. I'm just looking for a guy. Pate. He in there? How should I know? You mind if I come in, take a look? You want to come in? Yes, please. Oh, two kopecks, and there's no food served. I grunted and shoved two one kopecked bills through the slot. Truth is, while I didn't love paying for yet another cod I wasn't going to use, I say that because I'd played the same scene out twice already, Two kopecks was nothing compared to what I'd already spent so far. If Pate was in this hostel, I'd happily pay a hundred times that to find him. Not that I was inclined to let this fella know that. Three corners each. Looks good, young man. Come on in. Don't make trouble. Remember, you get hungry, you're on your own. There's no, no food, food served. served. Yeah, I got it. The door opened and I stepped into a hole in the wall that smelled like cheap incense and body odor. Besides the doorman stool, the room on the other side was packed with overstuffed couches and several of them were occupied by some of the colorful types that call Old Aldfar home. Along the back wall were four doors, two of which were closed. From under one of them came the low sounds of a horn being played on the comp. The room was dark, and my eyes took several moments to adjust. Who'd you say you were looking for? Pate. Blonde kid. Big teeth. I hear he hangs out in these parts. Big teeth? Is that him? My breath caught in my throat as the doorman pointed me towards one of the open doors. In the dim light, I could see there was someone sleeping in the room beyond. And from where I stood, I could see a mop of blonde hair. I don't know. Maybe. I'll take a look. Don't cause any trouble. 
forcing myself not to bolt into a dead charge. I meandered my way over to the entryway the doorman had pointed at. As I got closer, I listened intently, half expecting to find Pate in the company of a half-dozen hired goons. I finally caught a break, though, because I didn't hear anything as I approached. And then I was there, standing in the doorway and staring down at the boyish form in front of me. It was definitely the kid I'd plowed into this morning. He had his eyes shut tightly, like you usually only see infants do. One hand was pinned under his head and the other was jammed down the front of his pants up to the forearm. He looked innocent, almost cherubic, and I let that slow me down not even a little. I snatched him up by the lapels of the coat he wore while he slept and yanked him off the bunk. The ratty old bed squeaked, but Pate himself made no noise as I hauled him to his feet. Once he was upright, but before he had his legs solidly under him, I gave him a hard shove and bounced him off of the wall behind him. He was just opening his mouth to cry out when I covered it with my hand, and I found myself staring furiously into his eyes. Shh! Pate, it's quiet time now. You recognize me? He dragged his half-panicked eyes haphazardly over my features until a faint trace of comprehension spread across his face. Or at least, the top half of it. I'm going to take my hand away. We're going to walk out of here and have a conversation, and I swear on my stars, kid, if you make so much as a peep, I will open you up. You got it? His eyes got even wider somehow, but he nodded again, and under my palm I felt his jaw go slack. I spun him around and hissed in his ear. Move. Pate struggled to get his footing as his mind struggled to regain his bearings. I didn't take my hand off of his back. An M later, we were in the alley behind the hostel, and I had him by the coat again. You stole from me, you sorry Mr. son of a... Mr. Mr. Wait, what the hell are you talking about? I mean, I would never pinch you. I mean, never. This morning, in the tower sect, I know you took it. I shook his shoulders, hard, thinking I'd get a different answer to rattle out of him. But he persisted. Mr. Stone, I don't know what you think I took, but... I hated the way his eyes looked like he believed what he was saying. And before I knew it, I tried to smack that expression off of his face. But it didn't do anything but make his eyes grow wider and set his giant Adam's apple bobbing up and down. Okay, Pate, listen. I promise not to be sore. I know how it goes. I get it. You got a habit. Your hands find their way into other people's pockets. This morning, you didn't get a good look at me. I plowed into you. You just thought, hey, free breakfast, right? You did what comes natural. You wound up with my lighter. Your lighter? What? I, I would... I shook him again. Just... Just give it to me, Pate. Like I said, I'm not angry. I'm... Well, I'm obviously not happy, but like I said, I get it. You didn't mean to do it, and I didn't stick around long enough for you to wise up and give it back. So I'm doing that now, Pate. Just give it back. You think I lifted a lighter? From you? Come on, Stone, how dumb do you think I am? You think I'd pull a stunt like that? After you put deeds in that pipe. Hey, I never touched him. Right, right, of course. I mean... Especially after Deeds ended up shoved in a reclamation pipe not 12 hours after he laid that bed at your place. I may be stupid, but I'm not an idiot, you know? Hell, does the whole station know about that? I won't say anything. Nobody down here would. Especially not to anyone up there. I never touched him. Okay, okay. Give me my lighter. God, I don't have a lighter. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Please. There was a choked cry. I was more than a little surprised to discover that it had come out of my own throat. All at once, looking at this kid, pleading lips pulled back, making his teeth look even larger, almost grotesque, and I could smell the piss running down his leg. I knew. 
he was telling the truth. He didn't have it because he'd never had it. No way Pate would risk filching my light. This was a fool's errand. Nothing but precious hours tossed down the hole of chasing a gut shot straight, and I had to face facts. My lighter was gone, dropped as I fled, somewhere between the memorial gardens and Salome's. Now all that remained would be up to fate. Had it just been a bad break? Rotten luck? Maybe subconscious guilt making a Lady Macbeth out of me. Maybe I was just really stupid. It didn't matter now. The cards were dealt, and there was nothing left I could do to change them. So my only option would be to play this hand the smartest way possible, which was to fold. If that lighter was anywhere near the memorial gardens when it was found, I was likely to find myself in Bartell's old cell in Mannix prison. So my best play, the only play that guaranteed my freedom, was to cut my losses and jump station. I'd laid enough aside in my safe back at Salome's to set me up somewhere. I might still see a natural end if I lived small and quiet, someplace far away from everything. Maybe Garion or one of the moons of Jocasta. Maybe out further. 400 years, we've still only scratched the surface of these reaches of space. Certainly nowhere within the reach of the Madres or their seraphs. And, and someone else would run Salome's. I suppose. Come on, Stone. I can't breathe, man. I blinked back my reverie, realized I still had both fists buried in his sternum, forcing him against the wall behind him. I released my hold and he almost fell forward. I dropped a step back. I was dazed, my mind still scrambling for some grasp on my future. I wiped an exhausted hand across my face and felt a tear under my finger. You need help finding something, Stone? Me and my boys, we'd be happy to help. Real discreet we can be. You want a lighter? I can get you one. You said you were sorry. What? I'm sorry, Stone. That's what you said. Well, uh, yeah, well, I was. I am. I should have watched where I was going. I was, I was in a hurry. I, I wasn't watching. It, it was all my fault. <sighs> no. No, it wasn't, Pete. Look, sorry to yank you out of bed like that. Next time you come in, I'll be around. Or two. Sure, sure thing. I turned back in the direction of Salome's my mind beginning to flood with thoughts about what I would need to do to make good my escape from Outfar. Hey, Stone, you gonna be okay? I kept walking, and I didn't answer him. Truth was, I had my own doubts regarding that very question. Minutes and city blocks blurred together as I walked. I would leave the keys and deed for Zara along with a note on my desk. She wouldn't be happy, but for all I knew, she'd been expecting something like this for years. She'd never been in love with my extracurricular endeavors. Well, let her run the house how she sees fit, I supposed. As for me, I had close to a hundred grand in cash and a few trinkets stowed away that, to the right buyer, could get me that much again. Not nearly as much as I could have walked away with from my retirement if I could have sold off Salome's or closed out the accounts that keep the place legit. 
Well, at least it wasn't like last time. Not a kopeck to my name, high-born blood on my hands, and a price on my head. This time, I'd have more of a head start. I'd be clear of Aldfar before they dimmed the lights for the day. A week ahead of any seraphs. If I was lucky, maybe more. The closest GC planet was 14 days' journey on average for any passenger vessel. Unless they were able to reroute seraphs from other routes or space lanes. Where the hell you been, boss? Zara's about ready to send the peacekeepers looking for you. I looked up with a start. I was halfway across the floor of Salome's, and Chewie was calling down to me from the balcony. Tell her I'm around, and the only thing she needs to worry about is those doors opening at six. We're ready, boss. You said hold down the fort, and I... I know, Chewie. You did good. You always do. Now, if you'll excuse me, I still gotta bust my ass and maybe get a few winks before this place opens. Right, boss. I'll let Zara know. She'll be glad to know you're back. Would she? I wondered. Relieved, maybe. A little. But that feeling wouldn't last the night. I almost felt guilty for leaving Chewie and Zara and all the rest behind. No. Not guilty. Zara would take care of the bar and everyone here. No, I was just... sad. And frankly, it wasn't the people it hurt to lose. I liked the staff well enough. The kids upstairs were good kids and Winston had been a solid hand behind the bar. I'd miss Zara some days. But what hurt was saying goodbye to Salome's. I hadn't seen myself bidding adieu to Salome's this way. Not rabbiting away when the doors flew open and using the evening crowd to smokescreen the shame of my tracks. Not running away like the scoundrel I knew I was, but had worked so hard to not have to be. It wasn't supposed to end like this. I kept my head down as I hurried up the stairs toward my office. I waved off the few greetings and questions I got from the staff. Truth be told, there weren't that many. What had happened the day before on the coal ridge was still on most folks' mind, and most folks still believed that Cherry had been aboard. Those that knew otherwise weren't saying anything to ease the tension in the air. All I had to do was fill my bag and jump station. There was no shortage of captains I could reach out to. The list of folks who didn't know me, in favors or in copex, was a lot shorter than the list of those who did. I didn't care where the ship was going, as long as I could find something leaving soon. Better actually to change ships a few times rather than taking a direct route, which was convenient, as I didn't yet have a destination in mind. If I stayed smart and didn't cry over cut losses, I just might see my way out of this. Maybe I'd drop the box of Tritogenia in a locker at the tower and mail the key to Morgan. He deserved a going-away present, and maybe the Madres would call off the chase if they had the goods. Maybe. I wasn't going to stick around to find out. And hell, I might just throw the damn thing out of an airlock on my way off station. Who knows? Maybe I'd just take it with me and drink my way through the other five bottles during the cruise. I keyed the code to unlock the door into the panel next to my office. The door slid open, and I was halfway through before I saw the figure seated in the darkness behind my desk. Who's there? Just me, Stone. Stratford. I don't know how you got in here, oh, it wasn't and I too. don't care. I've got no time for a visit. Kick rocks. You can't talk to me like that. You got a warrant, Stratford? Signed by Yoli Wallace? Because she's the peacekeeper commissioner in this district. And if you don't have that, then all you've got is your dick in your hands. And I'm not interested in checking it out. Oh, I'm not going anywhere, Stone. You have a warrant? No, 
I don't have a warrant. That's what I thought. Get out of here before I... I have this. He reached into his pocket and pulled out something which flashed in the gloom of my office. He flicked the top open with his thumb, and my bowels turned to water at the click. I watched, frozen, as he thumbed the flywheel against the flint. Probably four hundred years old, and the fluid-soaked wick caught instantly. As Malachi Stratford held up my lighter, bright flames and dark shadows danced and capered across his leering, hungry face. Come on in and close the door, Nolan. We're going to have a long talk. Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula. Episode 4 Chasing a Gut Shot Straight. Produced by Yabium Music and Arts. Directed by Dale Rasmussen. Executive Producers Carly Shorman and Mark Anderson. Written by Carly Shorman and Dale Rasmussen. Sound design and original music by Devin Morris. Audio engineering by Devin Morris and Mark Anderson. Featuring Ashley Naftul, Austin Campbell, Sean Collins, Brooks Cox, Brian Blackwell, Sean Hans, Richard Nihil, Dana Stern, and Dale Rasmussen. Tune in next week for another exciting installment of Confessions from the Nocturne Nebula. <laughs>